We thought tonight we would start with just a, uh, I have my family up here as sort of a visual aid to some degree uh, of kind of what the staple shepherding, or the, I would say one of the staples of shepherding might, might look like. It's just family devotional Bible study time. Uh, we started this about five years ago, started in Genesis, and we're in First Peter, I mean, five years ago. So, um, you know, the notion of getting through the Bible in a year, that hadn't worked for us, and we've been okay with it, and we've just, we just read a chapter at a time, and it happens maybe once a week, maybe five times in a week. We're not enslaved to any schedule, but we do it often enough to where it's familiar. And um, tonight, I'm just going to... Usually we're in our pajamas, though. Yeah, we're in pajamas and a cup and, of coffee. And we're and, fighting over the couch. Right. The, the kids are fighting over who gets the couch. So there's lots of that kind of stuff that goes <laughs> on. It's a real good um, opportunity to apply what we're reading. Uh, but tonight I thought, you know, we don't have any funny. I thought about all kind of different things we could do. And I realized the point of this is to show that it's um, unimpressive. And it's just a day in the garden, and there's nothing special about it. And sometimes they might be profound, and other times not so much. But they're there, they're consistent. So I thought tonight I would just um, have this little study with my family in front of y'all. We'll see how it goes. And I'm just going to read the next chapter, which is, this is no joke, where we fell out tonight in God's Word. This wasn't a setup. 1 Peter chapter 3, likewise, wives be submissive to your own husbands. That is seriously no joke. Yeah, God knew five years ago that this was going to happen tonight, so it's pretty cool. So that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their, to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if, if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Kids, what does this say about wives? How should wives be toward their husbands? <laughs> just, just play like we're in, in our den. <laughs> How should wives be toward their husbands? Daniel? Remember the word? Luke? Submissive. That's right. What do you think that looks like? Does that look like a slave that's slapped around and bossed around and pushed around? Does that look like somebody cowering down from their husband? I want to tell you right now in front of you, in front of these guys, just imagine they're not here. I'd say the same thing in our den right now. Your mom's a great model for this. Do you want to know what, what this looks like? Your mom's a great model of it. She supports me and encourages me and cheers for me when I don't rate it. And your mom's a great example of this. Now, the, the husbands, you, you might find a better example. You probably will, living with their wives in an understanding way. And you all know that I can be a horses behind. Uh, the only, only other thing that I think I would talk to you all about tonight would be this giving an account for the hope within uh, with gentleness and respect. I want you guys to understand what that looks like. It's, um, it doesn't mean you have to have the answers to all people's questions, but it means there will be times where you need to give an account for your faith, and you should do that with a spirit of gentleness and respect for other people. And that brings glory to the Lord, and it makes the message that you're sharing more appealing if it's done with gentleness and respect. How can I pray for you guys this evening? Daniel, what's on your, on your mind tonight? You're getting close to the end of what? School. School. How many days do you have left, you know? Two. Okay. And pray about a good rest of the school year. Pray that you can be attentive. And my itchiness. Yeah, you get poison oak or something, so we'll pray for your itchiness. All right. Christy? <laughs> Luke? You want to say thanks, thanks for the food you just ate or ask for forgiveness? <laughs> How about you, Evan? Finals are when? Next week? Okay. All right, well, let me pray for y'all. God, I'm thankful for our time together in the Word. I'm thankful that you continue to um, open our eyes to truth and ultimate reality when we spend time with you. I'm thankful for the model and the, um, the picture of the husband and wife that, that you've shown us tonight, and just pray that I can be that man and that Mommy can be that woman, and um, 
not just for the sake of peace, but for the sake of your glory, for the sake of the gospel being on display so these kids can see what it looks like in the doors of our home and in the confines of Monday through Saturday, uh, in addition to the time that we gather on Sundays. Lord, I pray, too, that we'll be characterized as a people that are willing and able to give an account for the hope within with gentleness and respect, that first of all, we know what we believe, that we can give an account for it, and that we'll have the disposition of gentleness and respect toward others that we may come in contact with, that we give that, we share that message with. Lord, I want to pray for the last few days of school and pray that they'll bring you glory in the way the kids pay attention, the way that Mommy teaches. Um, I pray for Evan as she gets ready for her finals, that uh, that you'll bring to her mind the things that she studied and that she'll do a, a good job for your glory and for your namesake and not for her own glory. I pray that she'll pursue excellence in her schoolwork as, as well as the other kids um, because it's worth knowing and worth knowing well, but most of all, for your glory. Lord, I'm thankful for my family and thankful for the opportunity to spend time together tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all can go. Dan, Luke, you can have a seat right down here. Let me say two things really quick. This is unimpressive. I hope nobody was wowed. Really, that's the point of it. If you're wowed, you missed it. The last time we did this was at a campsite on Sunday morning with the Green family. It was unimpressive then too. And the days that we did it before that, unimpressive. But it communicates to our family, to this family, that there's this stream of truth and this ultimate reality that's part of our lives. And we stop down periodically, hopefully often, as a family and do this. And I feel like it leaves my wife in a place where she feels like there's somebody that loves her and loves this family and is at the helm and is looking Godward, seeking his face for our direction, counsel, and guidance. So I hope nobody was wowed. I hope you'll go and do this. I think it's a staple. Um, your wife may be a heckler initially. I know that's happened before, but her heart can be softened by this. As you come in low, and you don't have to have all the answers. Notice there wasn't a seminary class right there. It was just a few observations. So thanks for taking the time to pay attention to this. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to go? Yeah. Just going to let it dangle there if that's okay. Everybody hear me okay? Thought about tonight, getting up in front of little guys, and, you know, your, your, your initial thoughts always go, I, wanna, I want to encourage, I want to give these guys tools, I want to equip them, uh, give them things to work with, and... And then I thought about, you know, what we do from week to week and God's provision in that. And uh, we're, I think we're very fortunate uh, to have the gospel preached, the word of God preached faithfully every week. And I hope you guys see that as part of that equipping. You know, we, the word's exposed. It shows us things. It shows us things of God. And... Uh, 
uh, our need in, in, in going from there is to, is to spend time in the Word. And I'm, I thought about you guys as, just as men and uh, some of the difficulties that we walk in every day in this culture, in this life, uh, in the flesh. Um, you know, we wear this flesh and we walk in the midst of these things and there's, there's tough things. There's lots of images. There's lots of things that you see. There's lots of things that uh, you see happen around you. And those things, uh, we need to have a right view of those things. And so tonight, what I wanted to do was really just share with you where I'm at in the Word. You know, and that's something as we gather from week to week. We have the preached Word on a Sunday. That's something that we can gather and talk about as men. Um, I think of you as, as fathers and for your family. There's things that... Uh, uh, as we look through the instruction here, there's things we need to be sharing with our, with our, with our wives and uh, with our kids and living out in front of them. I think what we do will say a lot more, you know, than, than just the words we say. So, but let, let's pray before we start tonight and uh, then we'll begin. Father, so thankful for your word. Thankful for your spirit. Father, thankful for the opportunity to move in worship. Thankful for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to follow. And I pray that for every man here tonight, and I pray it for myself. Father, help us grow in our love and our faith and our trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been in James 1 for a while, and, and, and some of it was prompted, really, from the preached word as we were walking through Hebrews. And um, really, I was, uh, with what I was hearing, how do I move? How do I respond to that? And, you know, and you kind of think of James, be a doer of the word. So how do we respond? How do, what do we do with that? So I'm just going to read James chapter 1, part of James chapter 1, and then kind of walk through some things that helped me. Uh, as a man, as, as a father, as a husband, uh, to take that and, and try to apply it. We talk about that. You know, we, and, and it's helpful. You need to know it's helpful that we do that in community. But here from James chapter 1, this is verses 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and, and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will, 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I'd like tonight for this to be a conversation. Uh, one of the things I do, and one of the things I really took from James as I'm reading through this, the first thing I noticed was just the introduction. And it's pretty easy to go past that, but James, a servant. And, and, and I'd been studying this, you know, some of the history on this, and, you know, the early church fathers, tradition is that this James that wrote this letter was the brother of Jesus. So here's someone who could say, James, brother of Jesus. But this letter is written by James, a servant of God. So right off the bat, you know, I begin to think, you know, what, this is, this is coming from someone who is identifying themselves as a servant, so they want me to see it from that vantage point. And when I got to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, I thought, okay, this, there's something going on here that I need to understand. And, and for me, there, there's got to be, there, there's got to be a, a proper perspective. And this is really, as I've been, I've walked in, in the Word over the last two or three weeks, this has been helpful for me. This is God's provision. Three things I, I've, I've when, I'm, when I'm looking at Scripture, I'm seeing here perspective, posture, and movement defined by the Word. Okay? Perspective for me, that's just a point of view. Where am I coming from? How do I view things? And that's good for us as men. How do I view things? Do I view things in my flesh? As a dad, how do I view things? When I am attempting to raise my children in good things, how does the flesh influence that? And how does the Spirit of God influence that? Influence that? So, there's this... There's this Outlook I'm to have. There's this view I'm to have, and that's what perspective is all about. And, and next was posture. As a servant, how do I even approach the Word of God? How do I approach life? How do I approach anything? If I am a servant of God, and we'll walk through some of this. I'm just these are just things that help me take this and apply it. And if and given proper perspective, proper posture. What's the next thing? I, I, I move. And so those are things that as I begin to look at this, I'm like, okay, I need to take this thing apart and look at it through kind of that lens for me. So go with me a little bit. We're just going to work this out, just sitting here talking like we would sit on your couch and talk. But perspective being a point of view. Or it can be a, a, a mental view, okay? You just, this is, this is where I'm coming from. This is the vantage point I should see this from. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I do with that? What do I do with that verse? Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
versus what? It's good for me to compare. Servant of God, what would be an opposite? Or another thing that I could serve? Self. I came up with those pretty quick. Really what burdened me was that I came up with those real quick. And as I began to take that and kind of examine myself, and I examine my posture and my movement, what does that look like up against servant of God? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What does that say about my perspective on trials or tests? This picture here is, is being proven. It's things that are going to prove who you are, these trials. And if you know anything about some of the men who wrote these letters and the word, they were, they were facing death and they would die for their faith. So what would my perspective be in the face of trials? Yeah, don't be surprised by them. Yeah, see it as an opportunity for change. And 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 what does that have to do with joy? You know, how do we how do we find joy in this? What's the opposite of joy? Despair. Despair. Sorrow. You know what I came up with? Bitter <laughs> and complaining. Ow. Man, put that up against my life. How much do I complain? I thought about conversations with you guys. <laughs> How's it going? Ugh, my goodness. If I got to spend one more day around these people, what's my perspective there? What's my posture? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Perspective. Godly wisdom as opposed to worldly. Wisdom, what? Neat word. We have all kinds of definitions, all kinds of books telling us what that is. Wisdom, how do, how do we even seek out? What's my perspective there for even understanding what I'm supposed to do with God's wisdom? I need it in layman's terms, day to day. How do I walk? What do I do? How do I get that? One of the things that, was, that really impressed me here is, is really just the, that we're to ask God. Let him ask God who gives generously. So I'm thinking, you know, okay, from this perspective... I'm in need of wisdom. Where's my focus? What's my posture? Who am I turning to? 
I'm real good about pleading my case. I'm real good about rationalizing. I'm real good about making myself feel comfortable. Is that God's wisdom? Let him ask God, what, what is that? What is that? What would my posture be there? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeking, right? My posture is I'm at least leaning forward, I think, is the way we would say it a lot. But if I'm asking God, too, what, is, what am I doing? I, I saw myself here on my knees, bowed. Because we can think we got it with God. seek his wisdom yeah that's what was impressed upon me a lot and, and, there, and there's, a, there's a need for us you know as men to be in the word uh, in leading in whatever capacity that is we need to know God's word there's a tendency sometimes you know and We walk in community. You know, we've talked about even the definition of wisdom and what that is. You know, it's kind of that taking that knowledge and applying it. I think everybody would agree that's kind of, you know, the idea there. We're applying this thing. And even the Word says, Hebrews 5, you know, that we learn discernment by putting the Word into practice. Guys that have put it in practice over years, those, are, those guys are a good resource. But they're, are they ultimately our wisdom? Because what do we got to do? And what I'm going towards, you know, we have great opportunity here to hear the word. Uh, as we gather in small groups, as we gather as families, we've got to seek it out. We've got to be in the word because we've got to test everything we hear. If we're going to move in worship, we've got to understand who we're worshiping who we're a servant of. If anyone's offering you wisdom that doesn't point you here, careful. No, don't take it. Listen, take it here and test it. This is our, this is our wisdom is from God. Don't hear me say there's no benefit and sitting and talking amongst yourselves. But you've got to, as you're working it out, you've got to place it against the Word. The other thing in the text here, um, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I had a pretty, pretty good bit of difficulty right there, guys. When I look at my life and the time I spend on things and the pursuits I have and I examine it, that's a, that's a really hard one. Do I have the perspective of a single-minded man? Do I have a foot under either table? Do I want to enjoy pursuing my own desire? I need to examine. And you know what? I really need guys to examine me. The word says that a brother who comes to us shows us something, we should love him. He loves us enough to say something, and it's hard. It's the hard, probably the hardest thing we do. Single-mindedness, double-mindedness. Where's my heart? We're going to look at some scripture. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. That might change our perspective. What do we consider rich? When you hear rich, what do you think of? I mean, how do we define that? Lots of money. And I think that's a pretty good definition for right here. A man who appears to have much. From what perspective? As I'm going through James 1, I'm thinking, okay, I've just got to get my view straight here. Got to get this perspective right. Poor or rich. Lowly or rich. Forever versus fading away. If I ask you how much you pursued things that are not eternal... You know, if we sat down together and we made a list of those things, what would be on there? Blessed is the man who, reign, who may, remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What does that do for our perspective, for our posture? That's one of those things I want to talk about. Okay, how am I set? Posture is kind of like what's your position, you know, kind of where you're sitting, how you're facing, and that can be literal or it can be, you know, kind of characteristic of how you move. What's your bearing? What kind of gives you what you're leaning? What's my posture in light of eternity? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fall of lights where there is no variation or shadow due to change. Good gifts, perfect gifts, dads, what do you want to give your kids? 
There's not a guy in here that wouldn't say, I want to give my kids good gifts, perfect gifts. Those are from God. Am I giving my children godly instruction? Which, by the way, is something we can count on that's not going to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I got to the end there, and you know, I was, I was, as I was reading through that, and I'm, I'm just really trying to examine myself, see where I'm at, what's my perspective, how do I view things, what's my posture. This was good medicine. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth. What does that have to do with our perspective? Whose will? Whose will is really going to be accomplished? Okay, y'all are going to have to loosen up. You're too quiet and you're leaving me here by myself. Let's work it out. Went to a few other scriptures, things that came to mind. And they came to mind because I, I saw something familiar. It's good to be in the Word. Because we see something here and we can go to the Word and get some insight. Because wisdom is what? From God. So in, 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 in thinking about posture, Matthew 24, 45. Again, back to James the servant. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's the posture of a good and wise servant or a faithful and wise servant? kind of cool pretty quick that we see that his master has set him in place. We can't do anything without God. We can't do anything without God's power, his wisdom, his changing this heart. What's this, what's this servant doing? The good, faithful and wise. When we say faithful, what does he do? What is he faithful in? This is a good example, too, because I see this in the household, you know, providing food. 
food to our families to live by. You start. Yeah. 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 He's he's been instructed in this thing, and and he's doing it. He's just doing it. What's the, what's the posture of the servant who is wicked? Yeah, he's lost sight completely. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened in his time. And we had a meeting last night. We were talking about a ministry like Isaiah had where he was to go and proclaim the word, and there wasn't going to be a response. He was being told that. Just go and be faithful. If that's our ministry, are we going to stay faithful? Are we looking for, you know? It's hard. Because one, one of the measures of doing things right and even equipping well is what? Fruit. But we're to be faithful with what God says. This is his word. This is important. This is something I've got to know. But it's this, as God tells me, I do. Mark 9, 31 says, For he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. What was that? A little short version of what? Some man, delivered into the hands of men, they're going to kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Gospel. Right? But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Hmm. Somebody tell me what we do with that. Christ himself said, I didn't come to be servant. How much is it our tendency to be first? <laughs> At least be well thought of even? But even more, not even, not, even, not, even, not even getting the gospel. We're too busy comparing over here. We're too busy comparing ourselves with somebody else. What's the posture there? Okay. 
kind of positioned, kind of probably lowest and last, right? Yeah. And there's there's this place if you if if you serve all, I got to thinking about that. If we serve all, how many opportunities do we have? And how often is that? Where are you going to find yourself? You're you're going to constantly be in this place to serve, right? So. I'm going to share a verse with you later about that. It's really Jesus' movement to show us what that looks like. Joyful in the face of trials. We'll go pretty quick. I don't want to spend how much time. Am I already over? Moving pretty quick. That's Brad. <laughs> He's coming after me. <laughs> just some quick things. These are just the observations, okay? Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet the trials of various kinds, right? What's... What's posture there? Again, we talked about not being surprised. We're kind of ready, and, and this is moving us towards steadfastness. So at some point, we're becoming steady, right? But we're on watch, and we have an idea that this is for our good. tendency, man, our tendency isn't it to kind of soothe and console? We want to do that. We've got a brother hurting. These trials, these are not light things. These are heavy things. You know, Scott was talking about some things of the day. They're, people's lives are complicated. You can't just... I'm sorry, say again. I didn't hear you. There's a perspective there, isn't it? Now, this isn't the bring it on. Bring it on. Bring the trials on. Prove me. If you've been in the Word, you don't want, you don't want to ask for that. But you want, to be, you want to be ready. You're not afraid of it. You don't want it, but you're not afraid of it. And the joy is that you can have this perspective that says, this is not all there is. There's something beyond. Yeah. Our 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 hope is is that. It's probably what I'm going to share here in just a minute, but do it. Yep.
There's a lot, a lot of folks who think that James really is a commentary on that. That's really teachings of Christ. This is to be your view. This is to be your perspective, your posture, and your movement. Man, godly wisdom versus man's wisdom. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Man. I don't know about y'all, but just regular day-to-day -day stuff, this kind of has to compel you to be in the Word. That our, our, what we say, what we, how we move, has to be informed by the Word. Single minus, double minus, Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is a commandment. This is what we're to do. And again, there's that all. All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. How much is left over to devote to anything else? It has to start there and end there. I don't know about y'all, but that almost sounds ridiculous. How do I do that? How in the world, all... <laughs> You know, I'm trying to be real practical here. What do I do with that? All? 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 Everything has to be shaped by His Word. And that's what we're walking through sanctification. God's showing us my Word's truth. You don't believe me? Go do your own thing. But if you're double-minded... His words are not going to teach you anything. You're not going to get wisdom from God. Don't deceive yourself. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Eyes, ears, hearts, tuned to the Spirit. What's our attitude there? We tend to go, move, and want to... I, I just see kind of this waiting on God to show me. Nolly versus Rich. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He said to them in Luke 12, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is real good stuff, but...
You guys don't know how sick I got reading this stuff. And I spent a good deal of time in this word. And I'm not talking about just having stuff. I'm talking about what you pursue. What you give. Your heart. Your soul. Your mind. What do you give that to? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where three thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Good thing to examine ourselves in. What would be our posture? If that is, if our heart is set on that, what would be our posture? You want to move in response to. I thought of being satisfied with Christ. What God gives me is what God gives me. Contentment. Godliness with contentment. Great gain. Life versus death. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What makes us steadfast? What would make us steadfast? Grace of God. <laughs> Amen. Whoever said that? Where'd that Trials. God uses his word to show us who we are and to show us who he is. We're in that process. Position there, I said, I, this was my offering, as one abiding in Christ, bearing, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm stayed. And even determined. But that's in worship. You know, that's something that God's working out in us and showing us and proving in us. Deceived versus knowing. Good and perfect gifts. No variation, shadow, change. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Again, understanding that God is the one who gives us what we need, exactly what we need. Good and perfect. What's my posture there? Grateful. Grateful. Yeah. Humble gratefulness and a response. In dependence on God, you're following Christ. So here's, here's, I'll, I'll finish up this. Here's movement by Jesus. You know, a lot of times we say, what does that look like? This is what it is. 
So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Obedience. Posture, movement. John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, what did he do? that sound familiar to anybody? All things given into his hands. He's come forth from God. Jesus is God. He's going back to God. He rose from supper and what did he do? He laid aside his garments and taking a towel he girded himself about and then he poured water into the basin. And began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Man. All this isn't to say, man, in fact, there's nothing I got to offer you. Can't write a book, can't talk about a book, and compel you to do what you're supposed to do. Not give you a list of things to do. Point you right here and say, He's worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the difficulty of just walking through your word. Father, that you have set a standard. That gives us just an inkling and just a glimpse of, of your glory and your grace. That we can understand it, Father, we We experience the darkness, we experience the difficulty, the trial, the hardness, the Father, we you give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, I pray, just as you you've granted us, you have granted us, you say in your word, you've granted us the power to believe and to suffer. Father, I pray that you would grant us the power to worship you. Father, I thank you for the men here tonight. I'm blessed by them sitting. Here, before your word, Father, I pray it is for your sake and for your glory. Father, we thank you for Jesus' example. Father, grow us in, grow us in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I really am going to be brief tonight. I, if your rear end's getting tired, you need to go to the bathroom, go ahead. And if you need to go grab a drink, whatever. I just, um, I, I want to look at God's design tonight and just kind of move into some practical, how do we do all this stuff, the stuff Steve's talking about, the stuff you heard Ben and Scott talk about last week. Uh, why even have this night? What are we supposed to do when we leave here? Practically, how are we to move as men? And um, I want to talk about three words real quick. Plurality, accountability, and approachability. And I want to look at, I want to just take a sweep of God's word and his design for how there's to be plural men, that how there's to be accountable men and approachable men. And what how those are connected and how those flesh out. And hopefully give you some practical how to walk in it. Um, if you're new here, or new here tonight, or new wish here to Cross Point, several years ago, I don't know when it was, when was Dib series? Two or three years ago, probably? God, in a way, threw a gauntlet down here on our people. He's <laughs> chuckling. It was like a gauntlet was thrown down, and it wasn't just Ben, it was God through Ben's preaching, this elder's preaching, where via the word, he threw a gauntlet down here on the men here. And, and it was real simple, if I was going to put it in a nutshell, it was that we're supposed to lead. Duh. I mean, that's, to some of us, that sounds very elementary now, but back then it wasn't. It was like, but what does that mean that we're supposed to lead? But it was a gauntlet that was awakening. Ben mentioned last week this, this idea of men around here in our culture who would walk in behind their wives with their wives with the tattered Bible and their wives are eating the word on their own and the guys don't know the gospel. They don't know the gospel story. They don't know God's movement. They don't know anything about the good news. And they're just kind of reluctant to lead in the gospel, in this gospel story. And so that gauntlet was thrown down in the midst of us who were maybe some of us trying but not doing so hot. Maybe some of us were leading well, but most of us were not owning God's design that we were to be leading spiritually. And I want to talk about how that gauntlet's to be fleshed out because many of us were left with this gauntlet like, oh my goodness, what are we supposed to do now? So I'm supposed to lead, but how do I do it? And just real briefly, I just want to mention that throughout your Bible, if you have one, throughout your Bible, God's design and his gift to his people is a plurality of leadership. Uh, Israel has given the gift of multiple men to lead. All throughout your Old Testament, all, the first half of your Bible, there is this gift given and this design that God gives that men lead together. Ezra is preaching and he's teaching and he's reading the scriptures and there are other men that go and explain it to the families working with Ezra and it's very easy for us to read the Old Testament stories in a selfish way to think they're about heroes and that we're supposed to be a hero when Ben threw down the Dib series on us I think some of us left there going well I gotta go be a hero I gotta be some MVP and I don't know how to do it and everything about our culture, everything that you and I hear says that we're supposed to be some kind of hero. We celebrate heroes. We celebrate the Lone Ranger. We celebrate John Wayne. And we celebrate MVPs. They're the ones that get the trophy. The most valuable dude. 
And so that's counter to what God's design says in that you lead with men. You lead with multiple men. There are no heroes. There are no MVPs. You need other men. And even in Paul's life, if you, even if you don't know much about the Bible, if you take the book of Acts and split it in two and you look at the middle part of Acts, you'll see Paul on his own. And this is what he leaves in his wake. What's behind Paul when he's trying to do it all by himself is confusion and havoc. Now, were his intentions great? Yes. He's trying to share Jesus with the nations. But when he's on his own and he's not in plurality, there's confusion and havoc in his wake. Just take Acts and split it down the middle and look at those middle chapters and you'll see real quickly that when Paul tries to do it by himself and be a hero and an MVP, there's havoc and confusion left behind him. So God's design is that you and I are to leave here on nights like this, that we're to leave the gauntlet thrown down that we're to lead. Everything you've heard over the last two Wednesdays, we're not to do it alone. This church is led by multiple men, elders and deacons. The gift given to the new Israel, the gift given to the new Israel in leadership is elders and deacons. And, and just by the way, deacons are not worker bees only. They are leaders. Elders lead. Deacons lead. Men lead. And that means for you and your home, you lead. But you're not designed, and it's not God's design, that you try and be some hero at your house. Because if you try and do that, I guarantee you, you are going to get frustrated, you're going to quit, or you're going to run your wife off trying to be a hero. You cannot, and you're not called to do it all by yourself. The design in God's word is plurality. And at the heart of plurality is that second word I said, and it's accountability. Now, it's not hard for me to stand up here and make a case, and I won't take the time to do it. It's not hard for me to make the case that if we're going to be in plurality, if we're not going to be a hero and we're going to work with other men to lead, and if I'm going to need other men to help me shepherd my wife and disciple my children like you saw up here tonight, if I'm going to let other men help me do that, it means that I'm going to need to be accountable to them. Now, accountable has, and maybe some of you know this or don't, has a weird stigma. Because over the last 20 years, accountability has been kind of a catchphrase. If you go to a Christian bookstore and you pick up an accountability book, that has kind of this bad vibe of, well, if, I'm, if I go to an accountability group, I'm going to find out everything I'm doing wrong, and we're all going to cry and share what we're, where we're failing. Accountability, that's joyous. Let me go again this week and find out where I'm screwing up and how I fail. And that's not the intent of accountability. If, if you look at Paul's writings to the church in the New Testament, you've got this, on one side, you've got him saying to the Thessalonians, look, work hard. Don't be a guy that's dependent on everybody. Mind your own business and be, live a quiet life. So you've got Paul saying that on this side. Live a quiet life. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 3. Live a quiet life, work hard, mind your own business. Paul says those things. And then over here in Galatians chapter 6, he says, If you see a brother in sin, restore him and bear one another's burdens. So how do we bring those two together? We bring those two together in accountability. That I'm, I work hard, I watch myself, I mind my own affairs, and yet at the same time, I watch my brother, and I bear his burdens. 
Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, failed. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Here it is again. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. This is what accountability should be for each of us. Accountability should be relief. That's what it's designed to be. Relief. Not this fear. And I mean, sometimes, I think when I say accountability, sometimes I just see everybody's backside just get puckered. Just like, accountability. So then I got to hear all this hard stuff from somebody and I don't like it. And accountability is a bad word. Accountability should be relief. And it'll, we'll get there in a minute. It won't be relief to you unless you're approachable. But we'll get to approachability in just a second. But accountability, the intent is for my failures, for you to help me bear them. For you to, here it is, correct me. I cannot do this if I'm going to be in plurality and I'm not going to be the MVP and I'm not going to be a hero then I need you and you and you and I need some men that I trust. This is scary. We were talking about this last night. Probably the scariest thing that you'll do is sit with another man on his back porch and be transparent about what Galatians 6 is talking about, bearing your burden, which is sin. That's what it's talking about there. Your burden is your sin. Is saying to a brother where you struggle with sin. And, and saying to a brother where it's hard. All the things you've seen over the last two Wednesday nights, they are not easy. They're, they're simple, like Ben said, but they're not easy. And you can't do it on your own. And so the, the most frightening thing, and it goes against your pride, it goes against my pride, is to sit with a brother and say... I have a burden and it's my sin and here it is. I'm going to pull the curtain back be transparent and tell you where I struggle. That is frightening. And it's not easy. But on the back side of that, when that brother says, I'm going to bear that burden with you and I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to help you and I'm going to help restore you in gentleness or I'm going to correct you when I see you misstep. Calvin calls it, John Calvin calls it mild and friendly correction. Mild and friendly correction. And if, if you're in accountability, you will long for mild and friendly correction. And if you don't have, listen, I see it all the time in this church and outside of this church. Men who are trying to do it all by themselves and they have absolutely zero mild and friendly correction in anything that they're doing. And I think it's because maybe they're trying to be a hero or they think it's too scary to let somebody else in and help me bear this burden of my sin and my struggle. This is why typically I've... This is why... To be transparent and model this, this is why I hate the word accountability groups. The first reason is because, let's be honest, I'm going to be real transparent with you, I hate accountability. I, I hate it. <laughs> That's not something I like in my flesh. 
I, I don't wake up each morning going, I wonder how I'll be corrected today. That would be fun. That's not what you and I wake up wanting and desiring. It's correction. We want to self-satisfy and we want to build ourselves up. And we want to think that we're something. And Paul says, you think you're something, but you're nothing. That's what Ephesians 5 says. You think you're something, but you're really nothing. And if you're sitting in that seat of, I think I'm something, you hate accountability. I hate accountability. I don't like it. I don't like to be corrected. The second reason why I typically don't like it is because traditionally and May, hopefully you don't you haven't experienced this but accountability groups have been focused on your sin and that's where it ends it's all right tell me where you failed tell me where you struggle and then you stop right there and there's a period at the end of that sentence but according to galatians 6 it's that's not what it says it says bear one another's burdens so fulfill the law of christ Christ and the gospel is the aim of your accountability. It's for me, when you say you're struggling, and I tell you I'm struggling, is that we run to the cross and we say, covered, finished, done. Now let's move out in light of that and worship. So we don't stop at where I struggle and where you struggle. We stop at, what did Christ do? What has he done? Where has he completed the work? And he's completed the work to cover my sin and your sin at the cross. And so when we bear each other's burdens, we do it with the aim of fulfilling the law of Christ. And so the aim of accountability is to constantly take each other back to the Calvary, back to the cross, back to where the finished work has covered our sin, back to forgiveness, back to a reset, back to new mercies. And it's not excusing our sin. It's not blowing sunshine up each other's backside. It is reckoning with our sin and correction with one another, but then we take each other straight back to the cross. That's the ultimate end of accountability, and that's where the relief is. That's where relief is in accountability. Just thinking about accountability, it ought to be seasoned with reminders instead of rebukes. Now, we will rebuke one another. We will correct one another. But it ought to be seasoned with as many reminders as it is rebukes. If I leave you within a rebuke and don't remind you of the cross, I've left you hanging without the gospel. And so your accountability, if you're going to walk in plurality, we're going to hold each other accountable. If we're going to hold each other accountable, our aim is to correct and call out and be transparent with where we struggle in our sin and we take each other to the cross and we're relieved and we relieve one another's burdens so that we can keep walking and not quit. And that's what accountability is. You and I will not be accountable unless we're approachable. Listen to a couple passages. Philippians 2.3 So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. If you, let me say it plainly, if you are unwilling to be held accountable by a brother... You are moving in rivalry because there's a 
There's, it's in you to be the hero, and another hero has stepped in, another MVP has stepped in, and there's rivalry there. And if you cannot hear from another man where you need to be corrected, if you're not willing to be transparent, even though it's scary, you're a conceited jerk. If I can't, if you can't approach me with correction, and all I see is a rivalry because another hero's coming up, and I'm trying to sustain myself as the hero, I'm a conceited jerk. If I can't hear correction from a trusted brother. Do nothing out of rivalry and conceit, but consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. And then Ephesians 5, 19, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In light of his submission, what's our ultimate model here for this? It's our God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the God we worship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son was submissive to the Father to the cross. The Spirit is submissive to the Father to be sent as a gift to the church to amplify Jesus. And there's this beautiful plurality and accountability and approachability and submission in our God. It's who our God is. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, in reverence to who our God is, be in plurality, be in accountability, and be approachable. Submit to one another. It's not just a handy design. It's who our God is for us to be approachable. I hope that, that you will, very practically, this is what I'll leave you with. This is how it's played out for me. And, and many of my friends who I am in plurality with and accountability with and who I hope I'm approachable with is if time to time, from time to time, you guys are not on the back porch, over coffee, whatever, coffee shop, sitting with another man and in plurality, killing the hero and the MVP in you and you're not opening yourself up your business and your affairs and your burdens with another man and you're not approachable in that. Here's how you do it. Invite somebody. You get your favorite Romans 14 beverage and food. If you don't just look up Romans 14, you'll understand. Whatever you need to, corn nuts, beef jerky, whatever it is. Invite somebody to your house and eat and drink and talk for an hour and a half. With this in mind, I got a burden and it's my sin. And I need you to help me bear it. I can't do this alone. I'm not an MVP. And I need you to watch me. And I'm submitting to you. And that takes time. It takes eating meals together. It takes drinking beverages together. It takes a lot of candy and snacks and hanging out. But be intentional with it. it I, I see a lot of y'all doing this alone. And just be intentional with this. Most of you have a back porch. Use it. Use it. That's my encouragement. That's my burden for you. Because three years ago, when Ben threw the gauntlet down, when God threw the gauntlet down through Ben, we were, I was in the same place going, well, now what do I do? And the beauty in the gauntlet is that the gauntlet doesn't feel heavy to me now. The gauntlet is a joy to lead. Why? 
plurality, accountability, and approachability that I'm still learning. Let me pray. Father, I pray by your Spirit that you would um, foster in our hearts a desire for plurality and that you would help us hold each other accountable to relieve one another, to relieve our burdens, and that you would help us be approachable with one another and that uh, us as men, as we try and lead our families in this gospel, as we try and nourish and cherish a wife and disciple kids in the gospel story about Jesus, that we would do so not alone, not attempting to be some MVP, but that we would do it. God, help us do it with, in plurality. Bring these men, other men. Help them lower their guard and trust some other men. And I pray you would protect that trust by your spirit. You would protect that trust through confession. You would protect that trust with other men. And that your gospel would go forward and that wives are nourished and wives are cherished and the gospel is put on display in marriages and that kids are discipled because we don't try and be an MVP. And that's my prayer for all of us. In Christ's name, amen.